Do you know those tweets that are like, what can you talk about for 30 minutes without any preparation? I thought I'd test myself on that. It's been a while since I last recorded anything. I think it has been like a year at least. Mostly that's been because, you know, making podcasts and video essays is, is a lot of work. Way more than just generally writing. And, and like, let me tell you, 2021 has been terrible for me in terms of writing itself. So let alone doing anything audiovisually. But just to get back into the medium, just to challenge myself and see what I can come up with, like, off the cuff. I thought I'd try another one in my long line of empty notes. Well, long line, I say it's just three of them, but like empty notes podcast format, which is actually ironic because the whole point of the empty notes podcast format is that I have notes ready and I want to be rid of them. But here I'm just speaking without any notes. So I guess it's the emptiest notes of all. Anyway, what I wanted to talk about is a question that I wouldn't say I get it a lot, but I think it's a pretty, uh, I mean, it's a pretty logical question to have once you start like reading, not so much my cultural essays. I mean, you can read those and just be like, oh, here's another left-wing culture critic. We have a dozen of those. That's what the entire field of critical theory is ultimately kind of based on. It's it's just old cultural critique. Um, no, when, when you start reading my more philosophical output or you start reading between the lines in my fictional and, and other critical output, you start noticing this, this perspective. Like, well, to put it simply, I'm definitely an anarchist, but obviously there's also something more to it. I like to talk a lot about Taoism. I like to take a lot of examples from that. And sporadically, I will also take certain examples from Buddhism. And recently in my Borrowed Thoughts essays, I've been really trying to codify that perspective, which is kind of antithetical to Taoism. Like the whole point of Taoism is you're not supposed to talk about the Tao. It's it's almost like Fight Club. But I mean, you have to talk about it eventually. And I think it's better to have a codified system that you can critique, even for being codified, uh, than just not communicating at all. And like, as long as I'm not some sort of wandering mendicant who can bother people about my perspective just randomly, I'll, I'll have to write it on the internet. So writing is an inevitability in that sense. And I'm just too much of a, a literary creature to consider not writing at all. What was I getting at? Oh yeah, so th there is something more to my writing. This Taoist Buddhist stuff. And I think it's very sensible to ask, well, wait, hang on. I mean, we're all we're all radicals here. We're all leftists here. I mean, I assume if you're reading my stuff that you are, but like we're, we're all we're all interested in radical politics here. Why are you bringing in all this traditional spiritual philosophical stuff? I mean, the Buddha wasn't exactly a revolutionary. Lao Tzu wasn't exactly a revolutionary. Zhuang Tzu wasn't exactly a revolutionary. Like, why are you bringing in these figures if they weren't revolutionaries? Well, I mean, from some perspective, of course, you could rewrite this whole history and say, I mean, people do this a lot with Jesus, which I think is valid, is saying like, well, Jesus was a radical. So, of course, we have to bring him into an anarchist or communist conversation because, you know, Jesus was the first radical, which I, I don't think so personally, but but that's one perspective you can have however i want to just have a bit more nuance to it i want to not just argue that like these philosophies are amenable to an anarchist reading i want to argue that they can add something to anarchy as such like our conception of it 
because what, what we what we need to remember and and this is going off on another tangent but i i'm a big fan of historical contingency maybe this is because i read too much alternate history but if you read a lot of that stuff and you just start looking into history what you realize is that history is built on very shaky foundations there are definitely certain regularities patterns uh, limits that keep cropping up i mean for example i would say that the unsustainability of civilization as such uh, is is sort of a rule but like for every law of history there's a thousand examples of just complete random nonsense determining whole swaths of history and that is something i think is very important if we look at something like anarchism because as much as we claim that western often anarchist philosophers are somehow universally valid that their insights are um saying something about like the, the fate of humanity and history and destiny as such, we should realize that these were specific people caught within a specific historical time frame. And it's not just that this means that they are bigoted, that they fall short of what they're saying, that they are imperfect anarchists by the standards of anarchy. We should also realize that the very standards we use to judge what is anarchy are historically contingent like our idea of anarchy is already caught up in all these ideas of what what isn't anarchy what is the state and our idea of what the state is is very much caught up in the states that happen to exist at this period of time and that we have experience with so we cannot escape this cultural context and just claim like anarchy is universally valid um well i mean okay this is going to sound extremely silly, of course, but 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 anarchy itself, the term itself, derives from Greek, anarchia, like no rulership. Uh, so if you have a culture that, for one reason or another, I mean, aren't amenable to that kind of specific language, you're going to have to come up with a different way of saying the same thing. And because there aren't really... I mean, in language itself, there aren't pure synonyms. Every word has a different kind of nuance to it. So if you start redefining anarchy, if you start adapting anarchy to a different context, it will become different. And that doesn't have to be bad because some of the things that are in that redefined context are better or just different. So let's not, this is my claim, Let's not try to be imperialistic here. Let's not try to claim that our specifically white or Western or even 21st century concept of anarchy is universally historically valid. Let's keep that nuance, okay? Okay, from this point on, I can already start to show you why I would add um, a Taoism and Buddhism to this mix. Because I see Taoism and Buddhism as sort of these important recontextualizations of anarchy. Of course, historically, I, I, I completely acknowledge the way that like Tao or, or the Buddha has or Nirvana or whatever you want to call it. The way this has been appealed to has not been anarchist, like even remotely. There have been specifically Buddhist anarchists. There have been even specifically Taoist anarchists. But it's it's fair to say that the mainstream reading of these ideas is not literally anarchist i would say it's sympathetic to it still often but it it's it's simply not the same however i think that if you start looking at tao from an anarchy perspective or you start looking at buddhism from an anarchist perspective you start to 
do that recontextualization where both sides, both anarchy and Tao, both anarchy and Buddhism, are each recontextualized by the other. You can do the same thing, by the way. This is, this is in fact, very valid, uh, comparing Buddhism and Taoism itself. If you put all these ideas in interaction with one another, you get this really beautiful sort of syncretistic mix where I would say that each side, each philosophy with its particular emphases helps the other two. It can compensate for the defects of the other ones and it can g give a new richness to it. Okay, so far, this is all just a lot of rhetoric. Like, what am I specifically talking about? Um, well, I, I, I think it's easiest to start from Taoism. And why is that? Well, it's because I started from Taoism. I, around the same time that I first really got into Taoism, I started reading the Da De Jing. I started reading parts of the Zhuangzi. Uh, I got into these texts and I, I really, you know, felt like they told me something. That was about the same time, maybe slightly later, maybe even slightly before that I got into anarchism. And I feel like the synthesis of these ideas really strengthened, well, let's just call it my faith in, in either. I think this concept of faith is is really important and in fact is more emphasized in Taoism and Buddhism than in anarchism. Usually we don't really talk about anarchism as something we have faith in, even though I think we do. And I think that's not a bad thing. I, I'll, I'll try to get back to this. Anyway, my point here is that Taoism, as I understood it back then, and I still do now, is this natural, spontaneous force. It's, how do I describe it? Well, again, it is sort of like anarchy. It's, it's something that is not a subject, like it's not specifically a god. It's not something that has a self or a specific identity. It's something that's inherent to everything that exists, something that gives rise to everything that exists. This is not to say, by the way, that that things can't um, that things can break from it or that things can't be sort of disharmonious. It's how do I put this? Well, I know how to put this. The simplest way to explain it is like, and, and again, this is going to be slightly faulty, but think of it as like the force from Star Wars. It's like a life force that unites all cosmic phenomena. But then the question, of course, is, well, hang on, but you've got all these Sith, you've got all these evil guys, you've got the dark side, you've got Darth Vader choking people. Is that the will of the force? No. How you explain this is by saying that um, there is a certain tendency to the universe, of course, just like there's a tendency to history or something. But things can still diverge. Like this is, and, and, and maybe this isn't the perfect way to put it. This is how I personally solve kind of the problem of evil is saying that the universe is trying its best. Like we're all the universe and we're all trying our, well, not all of us are trying our best, but like most of us and most phenomena are trying to live according to their nature. And what is their nature? Their nature is the way they act um, by themselves, like without being coerced from outside. We're all trying to live by our nature. However, the way we, some of us interpret our nature means that they start coercing other natures. So you have this one subject, this one nature who thinks, well, in order to be myself, I have to oppress others. I have to harm others. I have to coerce others. And that starts, you know, the bull rolling downhill that is known as suffering. 
that being starts realizing their nature counter to other natures and before you know it like you get this whole domino effect of disturbance because if one part of the whole is disturbed the entire whole is disturbed and this to me is sort of how this universal imbalance comes about so to put it in star wars terms it's not the case that the dark side is some sort of like shadow of the force it's not that it simply exists in the universe the dark side is precisely the disturbance of the will of the force, of the course of the universe. And the will of the force is best translated, I would say, to the, my Taoist perspective. That's Tao, the way that everything acts um, self, well, not so much selflessly, that's putting it a bit too Buddhist, but the way that everything acts according to its own nature. And its own nature has to be understood here as uh, inherently being in harmony with everything else. Like, it's... It's not the case that the nature of some things is really to be disharmonious with other things. And this is best explained from a Buddhist perspective. But just think of it as the universe consisting of different components and parts and aspects. But it's all one big whole. So it's not the case that some parts are simply set against the other parts. It's just that once that illusion emerges, once that idea emerges of separation of one versus the other, that's when you get even the potential for certain parts to fight other parts like like put it as your like in the context of your body like your one arm would never fight your other arm unless your arm saw itself as separate from that other arm and opposed to it somehow as as part of itself but this can't of course be the case it's all one body god i i'm very sorry i know this started as just a straightforward anarchist rant and now it's soon turning very kind of alan wattsy spiritual we're all part of unity non-duality whatever i i know i know this sounds ridiculous i know this sounds so contrary to how we usually conceive of anarchy as just a purely sociopolitical phenomenon and 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 i'm perfectly fine with that if if you believe that like all these metaphysical questions all these questions of like psychology biology they're all irrelevant the best way to govern ourselves is just to let people govern themselves without harming others without doing harm to the whole i think that's fine but i think that if you start thinking that way and you start extending it and you start extending your conception of what forces govern themselves according to this self-governing principle i i think it's it's just hard to really separate society out from nature to separate nature out from reality to separate reality out from everything that exists i i, I think to put it simply, I, I think every anarchist already implicitly assumes to some extent that that the anarchist ethos, you know, the, the self-development of each as a prerequisite for the self-development of all, this already contains this sort of Taoist, holistic, naturalistic ideal. And I think most anarchists already implicitly believe this. They, if you, I mean, they have to. They believe that anarchy works. So they believe that our reality is one in which the idea of anarchy works. And I would say that, well, if the idea of anarchy works in one part and that proves that things can emerge by themselves from the whole and can exist in harmony with that whole, that proves, the, in a metaphysical sense, the potential for harmony. And I would say that, like, if, if harmony is enough, if it, if the universe, or one part of the universe at least, but 
I mean, I, I find that incoherent. I think one part of the universe is already the whole universe. Anyway, this is getting too complicated. My point being that, like, if you say that it is possible for harmony to exist, to be sufficient, if you say that we don't need coercion, we don't need harm, we don't need suffering to exist, these are not necessary components of existence, we can exist according to a sort of selfless, harmless spontaneity. That is how the universe can be created. That is how the universe can be creative. If you believe that, and I would say that an implicit version of this belief is inherent to anarchism already, then there is no need for the rest of the universe to even exist. Then we can just say, well, then this principle is, is omnipresent or should at least be made to be omnipresent. This is also an important component. Um, in my personal faith, I often say, like, even if it's not the case that the Tao is real, it should be real. You know, it's it's kind of an inver- it's it's kind of an inversion of I think it was Bakunin who said that like if God existed, we would have to abolish him. I don't agree with that necessarily, but I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying if the Tao didn't exist, we would have to create it, and that's my point. I'm saying that the universe can exist in a harmless, unified. I would say non-dual because it's not just one; it's all just zero. This is getting too complicated, but to say that like the Tao is real or the Tao should be made real and it's sufficient. That's enough. We can organize the universe in this fashion. And that is something that Taoism taught me, that this sort of spontaneous, natural, harmless energy um, exists or should exist. And to put my faith in this, to believe that this is enough, this is sufficient, and the universe can be this way. I think that about covers it for Taoism. Again, it it's it's not there's way more to Taoism, and I could go on about its interactions with anarchy, but I think this is enough for now. So just understand that why I connect Taoism to anarchy is because I believe that it represents this spontaneous, sufficient, selfless force, and that that I would say is the basis of anarchy on on a huge universal scale. Now, what about Buddhism? Buddhism is a little more complicated because uh, I would say that Buddhism is more, maybe this is just my impression of Indian philosophy. I would say that Buddhism, at least in its Indian form, I, I would say the Chinese form kind of mellows it out. <laughs> Not really, but but slightly more. Uh, it's, it's very technically minded. It requires you to commit to a specific view of the universe to which Buddhism is the solution. Like you have to sort of commit to uh, karma, rebirth, cycle of rebirth, which together trap you in samsara. So this continuous existence of being reborn and reborn uh, and not being able to escape that and constantly also therefore suffering because uh, the entire universe is such that you personally can't control it absolutely, not even if you're a god and therefore you suffer because your desires will always go unsatisfied to some extent, or at least they will never be satisfied forever. And only once you accept this cycle of endless suffering through rebirth does nirvana become appealing, because then you realize, oh, wait, hang on, uh, all this suffering is being caused by our selfishness. So, so, like, on the face of it, Buddhism doesn't seem too compatible with these other teachings, simply because it, it has 
to commit you to so many things to begin with. If you don't believe in karma, if you don't believe in rebirth, all these things, doesn't that complicate our commitment to attaining nirvana, like the end of suffering? But here's the thing. I would argue that if you look at what Buddhism is saying like on a very basic level, so just boiling it down maybe to the extent that it becomes incoherent or that it becomes un-Buddhist, but from my perspective, if you boil it down, I would say Buddhism is really united by maybe two or three ideas. The first being that like suffering is bad. Um, what, what, what I mean by this is like, of course, everyone thinks suffering is bad, but, but I think we have sort of um, this implicit idea that like, well, sometimes it's necessary or inescapable, that there are bad things that happen to us. And maybe this is even a good thing. Like we, we need those bad things for one reason or another. And I think Buddhism is very sort of strict in saying that like, no, suffering is bad. Of course, this this gets kind of nuanced. And, and here's why I want to think this through. Of course, you can even within Buddhism say that like certain forms of what seems like suffering, what seems like pain, what seems like misfortune can actually turn out to be useful. Th that can happen within Buddhism. But I would say that like if, if that's the case, then it's not really suffering. So, so I would say that just defining suffering as suffering, it's already bad. Just Let's just accept that suffering is defined by what we do not want to be the case. Well, maybe that's not even enough suffering is just what's bad for us and and like of course what's bad for us is what's bad for us that's tautological but still starting out from that idea that suffering is bad and being unwilling to accept uh that suffering might be necessary i think that's a better position than to already commit to this idea that suffering is necessary like if you have to start from one position and then sort of compromise i think it's better to start from the idea that suffering is just bad absolutely and then give way when it's shown that certain forms of suffering aren't suffering than to just assume that pain isn't bad or anything like that so that's important my my, my second point would be and and this is about like the the buddhist i i'm just slightly trying to go through the four noble truths here so so the um, I would say the second major idea is here is the cause of suffering. Like, where does suffering come from? Because it seems to us, and, and it still often seems to me, that suffering is just this random thing that happens to us. You know, pain, uh, misfortune, all these things, uh, un unsatisfied desire. All these things come to us uh, just, just randomly. Just the world is cruel and contingent, and we just can't have our way. But here already, we start to realize that there's something more to it. Because... I would say that suffering, directly or indirectly, I'm not blaming individuals. This is a problem. Often you see the Buddhist view, and, and I think that even some Buddhists do this, is you see that represented as, well, uh, Buddhism is just telling you that uh, desiring things is bad. So if you wanted something and it didn't happen, that's your fault and you should just change uh, your desires. This is, of course, how, how sort of desire or attachment is represented, again, in Star Wars as the Jedi. They just say attachment is bad, so just don't do it. And I, I see that as a form of victim blaming. Because remember, it's this is about suffering. Like, it's we who are suffering. And to say that, like, oh, it's your fault, that's, that's this ridiculous kind of capitalist individualism that I think has no place in Buddhism. Rather, what I would argue is, like, it's look at it from the other side. It's, it's not that we want stuff and the universe doesn't give it to us it's it's more that like the way that 
we want stuff or the very structure of wanting is such that we're always trying to control the world. And that's the problem. The problem is not simply that we want something, that we prefer certain states over others. It's that as a response to that feeling, that sensation of preference, uh, we try to make things be one way and not the other. And then when that control over reality is frustrated, when we realize that we can't have everything ultimately absolutely all the time, that we are not omnipotent, that we do not have the power to determine the universe just unilaterally, that there are always other components outside of us and outside of our power that we have to take into account, that frustrates us. And I would say that that to Buddhism is, is the cause of suffering. That is suffering, is the frustration of control. But again, from an anarchist perspective, I would say that that very much tracks. Like, anarchists are not against power. We're not against the self-development of people. We're not against people trying to realize their situation, of course. But, but I think that an anarchist position does commit you to understanding that as a subject, you cannot unilaterally determine the world around you because the world around you consists of other people. If there was just one person in the world they would not be an anarchist because there would be no question. They would just be the unquestioned ruler of everything. They would just be, I mean, if there was just one person, they would in effect almost be God because they could just extend their power over everything and there would be no one to complain. And I'm including like other phenomena and other forms of life and reality here. Like if there was just one subject and there was no reality outside of that, of course that subject would be self-determining. That subject could do whatever they wanted. But that's not the case. We live in a society. Hashtag we, we live in a society, you know. And and therefore we have these other people, you know, these 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 confusing other people. They they confound us. We cannot control them because we're not them. And also, of course, from the Buddhist perspectives, we're not ourselves even. We have no self. We can't even control our own bodies. We can't even control our own minds. So who's to say that we could control these other people? And I would say that is a very anarchist insight. And this is not emphasized enough. And once we realize that, we realize that, of course, let's extend our power. Let's try to do everything within our power to extend our power, but not our power over others. Because, well, one, that'll always be frustrated. People will never do what we want them to do, because if they did what we wanted all the time, they would be fully under our control. And in a certain sense, you could argue they would be part of our self-image. Because our self-image is, our illusion of self is very much determined by our impression of what we can control. If we could fully control something, we would start to incorporate it into our sense of self. So we can never control others just by the definition of the other. Uh, and also, of course, it, like that, that causes suffering, not just for ourselves. I mean, I would say that is of secondary importance, but for the other. Trying to control people is harmful. That, to me, is almost the definition of harm. I, I struggle to think of forms of harm in which domination is not involved. Of course, there are forms of harm like a rock falls on you. Yes, I would say that is bad as well. And that needs to be incorporated into an account of, of society as well. Because we want a society where people are not arbitrarily harmed by nature. Of course. But I would say that because morality is very much involved, not so much with nature and how to, well, not nature, but like randomness, how to deal with phenomena that seem to have no intent, morality is very much more involved with how do we 
act amongst ourselves. And in this context, I think it's very important to realize that the harm we do to one another are an example of control. And I would say that like trying to eliminate our will to power over others, let's put it this way, will to power over others, that to me is is like the 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 Buddhist idea. And again, this takes some redefinition. But, but, but I would say if you're going to try to fit nirvana within an anarchy-shaped context, that leads you to the idea that the thing, like, like the cause of suffering is control, or at least control in the sense of like trying to dominate a given being. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that covers it for Buddhism. So what, what I like about Buddhism is this commitment to the elimination of suffering and this analysis of suffering as being sort of like psychologically caused by our will to control. And I think this meshes well with Taoism because Taoism says that like, well, no, everything, everything's nature is already supposed to be synchronized with the nature of everything else because there are no distinct i i think that both within buddhism and taoism there are really no distinct or separate phenomena and and sort of separation in that sense is a form of domination is a form of evil uh, and in that sense like eliminating distinctness in the sense of like one will against or over another is important and realizing that if you eliminate this what you are left with is not just some sort of emptiness like a world empty of domination empty of rulership which is anarchy you know it's it's not just an absence it's not just taking away all the bad stuff it's realizing that once you get rid of all this bad stuff what you are left with is this spontaneous sustaining sustained creative force this way this Tao whatever you this nirvana whatever you want to call it this state of being and this way of being and this force of being that allows the universe to exist without any harm without any suffering without any domination without any rulership without any force just a good place a utopia if you want to put it that way and that is enough and that can exist and we can have faith in that i would say that is my perspective and i think with that i actually proved the tweet right because i've now talked for 30 minutes or thereabouts um which means that i i met the challenge i did it wow i i did not actually think i could go on this long but i hope um that with this explanation i've given you somewhat of an insight into my perspective I very much welcome your your comments and, and criticisms because, again, this is just a rant off the top of my head. I bet I made a lot of mistakes. I bet I made a lot of inaccuracies or maybe you just want to yell at me on the internet. Go right ahead. This, insofar as I've been able to represent it accurately, is my perspective. That's it for now. Uh, this was me, The Inner Moon for Empty Notes, episode four. See you when I see you.